I want to um, I want to change a little shift of a gear in the message. I want to shift a little gear on this. We have um, in there First Thessalonians chapter five verses one through eleven, way at the end of the message. Um, can I start there right now? We're going to go back to the front, but if you have a moment, uh, <laughs> if you would, would you please turn to First Thessalonians chapter five, and then we'll find um, Revelation chapter sixteen in a moment. Uh, this place in Scripture talks about what we are experiencing right now in Revelation chapter 16. And what I wanted to read to you was the first 11 verses, just so that you can get a kind of a, a grasp of what is being said and what our Lord has, uh, is doing. And it kind of fits in, in fact, it very much fits into the message of uh, the rest of uh, Revelation chapter 16, especially verse 17 when... When, when our Lord shouts out from heaven, it is done. It's similar to the words he spoke when he was upon the cross. Just before he passed away on the cross, just before he gave up his spirit on the cross, he, he shouted out, it is finished. In other words, everything that he came to this earth to accomplish at that point in time was over with. It was done. He, he did everything he had to do, and he gave up his soul, his spirit. And then he went to be uh, in a grave for three days, three nights, you know, and, we, and then he rose from the dead. Well, he's going to cry out in this particular place in, in the book of Revelation, it is done, meaning everything that, every opportunity that anyone has ever had is over with. That is, is the end of the great tribulation as far as the uh, wrath of God being poured out upon the earth. We will see more ab about it, but... But, but what, what has taken place was written in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Look what it says in verse 1. Now as to the times and the epochs of brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. Because, Paul writes, for you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. We will see that in Revelation 16. While they are still saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like birth pangs upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, you're not in darkness, that the day should overtake you like a thief, for you are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of night nor of darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober, meaning self-controlled. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, uh, self-controlled, having put on the breastplate of faith and love as, and the helmet, and as a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath. For God has not destined us for wrath. But for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. And then verse 11 gives you and me our job description as believers within the church, the body of Christ, and within our lives. Therefore, he says in verse 11, let's encourage one another. Let us build, build up one another. And then Paul writes these encouraging words, just as you are in Christ, just as you are already doing. Encourage and build up. 
I think the reason, if you turn now back with me to Revelation chapter 16, I, I believe the reason this is such a harrowing experience studying through this book. And I, I, I just wanted to encourage you last week for those of you that faithfully have stayed through this because it is difficult. It is the wrath of God. And, and we want to see God as this wonderfully loving God. Well, He is a wonderfully loving God. But He is also a God of justice. And He will pour out His wrath upon those who reject Him. And that's what we're seeing. And what I think, just my thought, what I think he wants to do with you and me is to encourage us in such a fashion that we see the urgency of sharing our faith with our loved ones, with our family members, with our friends, with our neighbors, with whomever we come in contact with. I told you this before. My wife and I had an, a, a basic vacation experience. We got invited by someone we just met to get a bite to eat. And so we said, yeah, let's go. And we did, and we shared Christ with this guy. And about midway through, he said, you know, my mom and dad would be so happy I met you too. And we said, why? Well, he said, they're, I think they were of the Salvation Army uh, or something of that nature. And he said that they have been sharing Christ with me all my life, and I keep rejecting him. And here, you, here I am in this far off land, and here you are, and you're telling me about this same Savior that they know. And I thought, that's, a, that's why we're alive. That's our purpose in life. That God would give us the privilege of sharing our faith. And I think he's showing us the, just the awesomeness of this time that we are studying about so that we might be serious about our faith today and build each other up, encourage one another, just as you have been doing. And I want to be encouraging to you as well. I, I absolutely love you. And I thank God for the privilege of being able to worship alongside of you. And I don't know if I said this, uh, this service or not. Um, forgive me, but I, I know I said it last one. And it, I tell you, we are, we are so fortunate to have a man like Anthony to lead us in worship. This young man is, I wouldn't trade him for anyone in the United States of America or for that matter across the world. This guy has such a heart for the Lord and just desires to worship and lead us in worship. And so I, I wanted to thank God publicly for him and for the, those that help and, and lead us in worship. We are really privileged. Let me talk to you about last week. You're in Revelation 16, right? First nine chapters we studied last week. We saw four different bold judgments fall. They were harrowing. They were terrible. In verse 2 we saw that the first plague fell and, and men had sores all over their bodies. And then in verse 3, we saw that the, 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 the second plague fell and, and the sea turned to blood and every living thing in the sea died. Can you imagine the stench? And then in verse 4, we saw the third fall, uh, plague fall and fresh waters on the earth, uh, on the land, became blood, polluted, so they couldn't drink water. And then finally, last week, we saw in verses 8 and 9, the sun became so intensely hot that people were scorched from its heat. And yet, as you look at with me at verse 9, the people scorched from the sun's heat still blasphemed the name of God, who has the power over these plagues, and they did not, they refused to give him glory and to repent. My question is, how can that be? 
I mean, how many times do you, do you have to be beaten up to the point that, that you, you refuse to see what's right before your face? You see, they knew. They knew exactly who it was that was throwing these plagues upon them, and they knew exactly where the plagues were coming from. They were not naive. As I said to you last week, they were probably the, 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 the greatest greatest time of evangelism in this world was, I believe, during the tribulation period. And the reason I say that is that God himself chose out 144,000 Jewish men to evangelize the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then, on top of these 144,000, he brought out two witnesses who I believed were the the greatest preachers that ever walked the face of this earth apart from Jesus Christ. And these two witnesses shared the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then, to make sure nobody is with excuse, he has an angel flying in mid-heaven, he tells us, proclaiming the eternal gospel to everyone, calling them to repentance, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Nobody was with excuse. And so why, as we see here in verse 9, they shake their fists in the face of God, they blaspheme his name, and they refuse to repent. I don't get it. But I think I'm going to explain to you exactly why. In fact, I know I will, because it will be from the mouth of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so today we're going to turn to the last three judgments. Where in verse 17, the Lord will finally say, it, it's, it is done. It is done. He's given them every opportunity they can to blaspheme him no more. It is over with. The judgments have fallen. Verses 10 through 21. Amazing place in the word of God. It says in verse 10, The fifth angel poured out his bowl upon the throne of the beast. And his kingdom became darkened, and they gnawed their tongues because of pain. Verse 11, they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and because of their sores, and they did not repent of their deeds. And so in verse 12, the sixth angel poured out his bowl upon the great river the Euphrates, and its water was dried up, that the way might be prepared for the kings from the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs. For they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them together for the war of the great day of God the Almighty. And then out of nowhere our God writes, verse 15, Behold, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeps his garment, lest he walks about naked and men see his shame. And back to verse 16, They gathered themselves together, to the place which in Hebrew is called Harmageddon. And then the seventh angel poured out his bowl upon the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne, saying, It is done. Then there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. There was a great earthquake, such as there had not been since man came to be on the earth. So great an earthquake it was, and so mighty. And the great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And Babylon the great was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of his fierce wrath. And every island fled away, 
and the mountains were not found. And then in verse 21 we are told huge hailstones, about 100 pounds each, came down from heaven upon men. And what did they do? They blasphemed God because of the plagues of the hail, because its plague was extremely severe. Father, please, move, move upon us. I, I, boy, I sense, Father, thank you for what I, that's just the feeling of what I feel, Father. Thank you so much. Move upon us, Lord, that we might, by the grace of an almighty God, sense the seriousness of what we are reading, the seriousness of the times in which we now live. Oh, Father, please, would you, would you grant us this wonderful wish, and that is, Father, that you would open our eyes so that we might behold wonderful things from your law? Would you please move me aside so that I might not get in the way of what you want to say to each and every soul that's here? Each person, you know exactly what is needed in their lives. You know them like an open book. And so I give you the free reign, Father, of course, to minister to each of us, myself, each of us here, so that we might hear from you, not from me. That we might sense that you're speaking to our hearts. And I believe when that happens, Father, we will, we will be more quick to move towards you than if a man or someone else tried to encourage us. Touch him, Father. Touch us all. And may we pray these things as Pastor Bill so beautifully said and Anthony and the group so beautifully sung in the name of your Son. Father, the name of your Son, our, our Lord and our Savior, whom we love here with all of our hearts. We come to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, this isn't new. Verse 10, darkness came on, on the, the kingdom of the beast. That's not new. Way back in, in Exodus, um, the Lord, Moses was going to Pharaoh and he wanted to let the people go, you know, and, and Pharaoh wouldn't have nothing to do with it. And so the Lord said, come here, Moses. And he says, I want you to stretch your hand up to heaven and I'm going to cause a darkness to go on the earth. Let me read it to you out of Exodus chapter 10, verses 21, 22, and 23. The Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward the sky that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt. And he said, look, even a darkness which they may feel, a darkness that would be felt, and then Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky and there was a thick, it says a thick darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. And they did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But, note this, but all the sons of Israel had light in their dwelling. It wasn't darkness over everything. People refused God's gracious light and so he gave them the darkness that they desired. But to those who love and to obey him, he gave light. Jesus Christ himself said, after the festival of lights in, in, in John chapter 8, he came upon the scene and he says, I am the light of this world. And he says, anyone who walks and follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. You and I, if you know the Lord, and if you're here investigating, I understand it. I get it. And, and I, I want you to. I want you to listen. And I want you to, to sense what God is saying to your heart. But for those of us here who know the Lord, we have the light in us. 
as we read a little while ago out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we don't need to be unaware of what's going on. We get it. It's not going to be coming upon us like a thief in the night. We understand what is taking place, and we understand that the Lord is ours, and we are the Lord's. And we need not be afraid like someone who might have a thief come into their house. And so in the in, in verse 10, as you look at, at Revelation 16, the fifth angel pours out his bowl on the throne of the beast. And this kingdom, it says, became darkened. That darkness stands for evil. Light stands for good. Darkness is simply a foretaste of hell that is to come. Jesus spoke of this place called hell in Matthew chapter 25 and verse 30. He says it is a place of utter darkness, eternal punishment, he calls it. He says, there shall be there weeping and gnashing of teeth. Well, look at verse 10. The intense heat, or excuse me, the intenseness of this darkness and the pains that the people felt. They gnawed their tongues because of that pain. It was just terrible. And what did they do? <laughs> do, they, do they repent? Do they say, Father, enough, enough, please, you are who you are. I am just who I am. Forgive me. No, they don't. Look at verse 11. They still blaspheme God in heaven, knowing where it's coming from, because of their pain and because of their sores, and they would not, did not repent of their deeds. Man, they are ripe. And that word ripe means, as we saw in, in verse 14, they were, they were absolutely rotten to the core. There was no hope for them. They were useless. As I told you before, they know who brought the plagues. They knew from where the plagues came from. They also knew, because they had been preached to, if they repent, God would forgive them. And they also knew, if they repented, God would forgive them, and He would give them everlasting life. Yet, they won't repent. I don't get it. Except... Our Lord said to Nicodemus, just before our Lord said, for God, John 3.16, for God so loved the world, what, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He, he said that to Nicodemus, and then he said to Nicodemus, three verses later, in verse 19, he says, this is the judgment that's going to come, Nicodemus. He said this, that the light has come into the world. Speaking of himself to Nicodemus. The light has come into the world. But he says, man loves darkness rather than the light because their deeds are evil. You see, the call of Jesus Christ is universal. It always has been the same. It always will be. It's two simple words. Follow me, he says. Follow my ways. Follow my teaching and cast aside your old ways that separate you from me. Follow me. You see, normally if someone doesn't serve the Lord as they should, whatever that means, by the way, that's why I ask the Lord to speak to you and not me speak to you. Because what the Lord says I should do, what the Lord has called me to do, is not going to be necessarily the same that he's called you to do. And, and, and what he's called you to do is not going to be any better or any worse than what he's called me to do. He's just called all of us to a certain ministry, certain lifestyle, certain whatever. 
And so what he's called you to do, if you don't serve him, it's normally because you love doing what you are doing more than his call upon your life. So you need to find out what that call is. The question is, and I wrote this for myself, and you're very welcome to listen in. I, I was studying this week, and I really got very introspective of what kind of a person am I becoming as, a, as, as I grow older and as a man of God. I've had a lot of reason to be introspective. And I said, am I willing to follow Jesus Christ regardless of the costs? Well, the fact of the matter is, I wrote down, only John, you can answer that question. I can't go to Kay, I can't go to you, I can't go to anyone else and say, am I willing to follow the Lord regardless? You see, I can't do that to you. I can, I can encourage you. I can inform you of what, what lies before you, but I can't make you do whatever it is you're going to do. It reminded me of way back, and I've told you this many times, forgive me if I repeat this, but when I first became a believer in Jesus Christ, Every friend that I had where I was in that place rejected me. Said they didn't want to have anything to do with Christianity or me. And they thought it was a weakness in me and they asked me to leave. I thought they were kidding at first. We laughed. I laughed. They didn't. <laughs> and they said, no, get out. And when I was walking down, when I was going back to my place, I thought to myself, well, this is a nice mess I've gotten myself into. I just accepted the Lord and I've lost every friend that I have. And I'm walking and feeling really sorry for myself. And I don't know how much further I walked, but I do remember saying this, and I remember saying it with all of my heart. It came from deep within, somewhere in here. I, I simply said, Lord, if it's just you and me for the rest of my life, that would be sufficient. That would be enough. I didn't understand what I was saying. I just felt that with all of my heart. And ask you this question, what if nobody else chose to serve the Lord? Would you stop? What if everybody else gave up? Would you give up? Or are you in there for the long haul? Do you know your own personal commitment to Jesus Christ as far as you can understand it right now as you're seated here with me today? It'd be a good thing to know. Well, now comes the preparations for the last battle. The next judgment that falls is not a judgment upon mankind. If you'll note, in verse 12, what happens is the plague comes and it simply dries up the great Euphrates River. And the reason it dries up the river is so that the kings, the nations from the east, can march against God. He prepares a way for them so that they can march against Him. The way is called, the way is prepared for what is called the Battle of Armageddon, where the nations will come and do battle against God. I mean, how desperately sick must these people be? That they want to, as it says in chapter, I mean, verse 14, the last part, gather together for the war of the great day of God the Almighty. They're going to come. Not only are they going to blaspheme God, now they're going to come and do battle against Him, they think. In verses 13 and 14, we are reintroduced what is called commonly within Scripture the unholy trinity. Satan, the Antichrist, 
and the false prophet. Now, you try to explain to me what takes place. I don't get it, but I, I, I know what, what it is. But I don't... From their mouth, out of these three, Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet, come three unclean spirits resembling frogs. John identifies them in verse 14 as spirits of demons who can perform signs. The reason they are able to perform signs is so that they can go out into these nations, the kings of the whole world, and gather them, convince them to do war against God. But what entices these people to come and fight against God? I mean, if someone said, hey, we're going to have a fight against God. You want to come join me? Ah, no, I think I'll go on the other team. I think I'll just fight with God there. Well, he doesn't have very many people. Ah, that's all right. I'll take my chances. In verse 14, we see that these demons have the power of deception. Jesus pro- proclaimed in, in the book of Mark, the 13th chapter, the 22nd verse, and other places, that false Christs, our Lord says, and false prophets are going to show signs and wonders so as... In order to lead astray, if possible, the elect. That's why I read to you a little while ago out of 1 Thessalonians 5. says, you and I don't have to worry. We will not be deceived. We know the difference. So they're going to have, most certainly, these demons that came out of the, the mouth of, of, the, of Satan and the Antichrist and the false prophet, they're going to have very little difficulty to deceive the kings because they're going to have much greater powers than any false Christs or false prophets might have. And so they convince these people to come and do battle against God, if you can believe it. They do it by signs. Let me, let me make a, a, just a short statement about signs and wonders. We're not in a phase in our, uh, in our Christianity where there's a lot of, of, of hoopla. At least I haven't heard much about signs and wonders. But every once in a while that comes up. In, in chapter 13 we are told that Satan and his demons also perform signs and wonders. And Chapter 13, verse 13, says that he performed great signs so as to even make fire come down out of heaven so that the earth, uh, in the presence of men, and he deceived those who dwelled upon the earth. It was common for him. Listen, miraculous signs happened. Many folks believe that God is behind miraculous signs, but we can read and see and understand from Scripture that the Bible teaches otherwise. Yeah, of course, it's possible today for God to do Anything he wants, he can perform any miracle or sign that he wants. But it is also possible for, that these signs are being done through the power of Satan. And we need to be careful. We need to be on the alert. And so I am alerting you. I'm alerting you to the claims of people who say they are able to perform miracles and do great signs as to verify that they speak for God. Today, there is only but one verification needed to see if someone speaks for God, and it is the simplistic preaching of the Word of God all about the Son of God. That's the sign that you and I have been given today to rely upon. Jesus warned, Satan's going to do great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. You see, there's no way it should be possible for you and me to be misled. Let's say, for instance, let's say just out of, for instance, I take a run up here and I take a leap and I just soar. I just soar in between those pipes and I fly around this room and I look at you and I say, watch me. 
That should not entice you to believe me any more than what I'm doing out of the Word of God. As a matter of fact, I would be a little leery of this guy. <laughs> I'm telling you that even if I were to fly across this room, that should not draw you closer to Jesus Christ. What ought to draw you and me closer to Jesus Christ is who we preach about out of the Word of God. That's, that's our criteria. That's the basis of our faith. So enough about that. Out of nowhere, verse 15 pops in. Now, verse 15 is a blessing that comes upon the people so as God, I believe, could encourage the believers who are on the earth during the Great Tribulation, who have some, some have given their hearts to Christ, and he's allowed them to flee away. He, uh, he gives them this word of, of encouragement, this blessing. And he has seven blessings. If you can see up on the screen, there are seven blessings throughout the book of Revelation for you and me to read and understand. And I'm going to read you through each one of them. And you're going to find they all have a wonderful purpose in yours and my walk as a believer in Jesus Christ. Here, in verse 15, John writes, I mean, really, out of nowhere. I mean, think about it. Verse 15. It just simply says, Behold, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his garment. Our garments, we saw last week, are the, the things that we wear, fine linen, that was the garment of Christ. That was the righteousness of Christ. That's the garment he's talking about. Keep the righteousness of Christ, he says. And the one who stays awake or, or, or alert and keeps this garment, lest he walks about naked. And men can see his shame. There are seven blessings that God wants to pour out. Let me, let me read them to you. Let, let me, you can look at them and write them down and look later if you want. I'm going to kind of go through them as quickly as I can. Chapter 1, verse 3 says, Blessed, remember I told you there's something special about studying this book. Even though it might be gruesome and, and a little um, heavy for you, you're going to get a blessing from it. Don't doubt that. Because our Lord has already started off this book by saying, Blessed is the person who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy. And heed to the things which are written in it, for the time is near. And then you have to jump all the way to chapter 14 and verse 13 where it says, I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write, talking to John, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they may rest from their labors, for their deeds will follow with them. Blessed are the dead who die in Christ. Chapter 16, verse 15, we just read. Now we jump to chapter 19 and look at verse 9. It says, He said to me, again, write, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And then he said to me, these are true words of God. Look at, blessed are you and me if we get in, because we are invited, because of our faith in Jesus Christ, we are going to be at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Can you not wait for that meal? I can't wait. I don't know. I hope it's going to be a little bit like El Farlito, but who knows? I would, <laughs> I would hope it would have a little Mexican flavor to it, I would hope. My gosh, I, I, I know that I'll, if, if, if we do this, such a thing, and then I'm going to loosen my belt and just go after it. <laughs> Figure, what the heck. Then chapter 20 and verse 6. Watch this. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power. There's no, there's, you're secure in your faith, people. They will be priests of God. We will, 
and of Christ, and we will reign with him for a thousand years. And then chapter 22, verse 7. He says, Behold, I'm coming quickly. Again, that means suddenly, not, not quick in time, but suddenly. Blessed is the one who heeds, note, heeds, heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. Look, at, we've, to study this book and not to give up on it and not allow it to, to drag you down is going to be a blessing for you in the long run. And then in verse 14 it says, Blessed are those who wash their robes. Wash them in what? The blood of Christ." Blessed are those of us who wash our robes that they we may have the right to the tree of life. That's the, that's the tree which is in the center of, the, of heaven that we may enter by the gates into that city. Praise the Lord. The gracious words of blessings from heaven are going to come and they're going to come upon those who believe to encourage them during the terribleness of these, um, these judgments that are falling upon non-believers. So it says in verse 16, in chapter 16, they gather together at that place in, which in Hebrew is called Har-Mageddon. Har means mountain or hill. Mageddon or Megiddo refers to the enormous beautiful valley which separates, separates Galilee from Samaria. In ancient times many a battle was done in, this, in these grounds. And Jesus says, uh, I'm coming suddenly without warning. I'm coming like a thief. The quick and terrible coming of Jesus Christ is going to be devastating to those armies formed, formed at Armageddon to do battle with them. It, it's not going to really be a battle. It's going to be a massacre. But all Christians who long for His coming, it will not be a devastating surprise to us. As I read to you out of 1 Thessalonians 5, 1-11, through 11, we will not be caught off guard. God keeps us in His hands, protected. Never forget His promise to those who love and keep his word, to the church of Philadelphia, way back, way, way back in Revelation chapter 3. And I think it was verse, yeah, 10. He says, because you have kept, and I, I always, I really, I know, I, I believe our church is like this. Because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I will also keep you from that hour of testing. That hour of testing is what we're studying right now, the great tribulation. That hour, he says, which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell upon the earth. So he says, therefore, encourage one another. Build each other up. That's our purpose in life. It's, it's a reason that you and I live. That's why I believe we study this great book, so we can be impressed upon the urgency of time to share with our loved ones and our friends. Whether we are doing it here in, in Yorba Linda or in Southern California or in Mexico, where we go on a mission journey or the Dominican Republic or wherever our feet might take us. And so now finally in verse 17, the seventh bowl at last is poured out. It's poured out upon the air and a loud voice thunders, it is done. It's over with now. There's, there's no second chance now. It's over. God causes the earth to radically change in verses 18 through 21. It's, it's not the change of the new heaven and the new earth. That happens in, verse, in chapter 21, not here. No, this is a change of the earth to take the people into the millennium, the thousand-year reign of Christ that we will be studying uh, a little bit later in the book of Revelation. God is now done, finished, through with mankind who rejected him. Satan and demons will be cast into the abyss 
for a thousand years. And in verse 18, an earthquake like never before flashes, lightning, sounds, and peals of thunder accompanies the very presence of God Almighty. In verse 19, we learn that Babylon is called the great city and she will be split into three parts. All the cities of the nations fell. Every commentator says, whatever this means, it's hidden. Not, under, not really sure. Dr. McGee is the only one that wrote, but God shall remember, it says there, verse 19. He will remember what Babylon did and how she oppressed the people of God. We'll, we'll see more of that next week in chapter 17 where, where Babylon is called the mother of harlots and the, an abomination to this earth. And then in verse 20 of chapter 16, we see the earth change. No more islands, no more mountains. In verse 21, we see out of the sky hailstones falling, each of them weighing a hundred pounds. And they fall upon those who are left on the earth. And what do those who are left on the earth do? Do they repent? <laughs> no. Look at verse 21. They just blaspheme God. Because the hail is, is very severe. Really? This is their third and last time to blaspheme God. No more. No more. There will just be praises to His name. The extreme severity of the plague does not take them to their knees. Not at all. It simply intensif intensifies their hatred towards God in His way. A person once said to me when I was sharing Christ with him something that stopped me dead in my track. Couldn't share with him much anymore because I had to agree with him. He said to me, if it wasn't for you Christians, I'd come to Christ. Hmm. I said to him, I agree with you. We're a motley lot, aren't we? And then I said to him, when I came to my senses, there's a place in Hebrews, I told him, that says, fix your eyes on Jesus. Hebrews chapter, wrote it down, chapter 12, verse 2. It says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of your faith. I said to him, don't let believers who quote-unquote call themselves Christians keep you from the love of Christ. I said, take a look at him. Fall in love with him. Fall desperately, madly in love with Jesus Christ. And he will turn you and me into the people that he has created us to be. To where we'll, we'll really understand our job description here on earth as it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11. Let's encourage one another. Let's build up the body of Christ. As Paul says, which I know you're already doing. I say the same to us. I believe in this church. I believe in you. I love this place. We've got a great and wonderful future. And so we study this great book. Great book. I mean awesome book. There's some preachers won't even touch it from the pulpit. Because of the reaction to it. But I want you and me to be blessed. And so I told you last week, you're my heroes. I absolutely love you for staying in there and studying with me. In a few 
pages now. We're going to get into the glories of heaven. And we'll, uh, we'll really have a great time studying about that. Father, thank you for, for, um, for Scripture. It's the place that, um, that soothes uh, difficult souls and, and souls that are, are beaten and battered. Uh, just as men of old and women of old felt, so we feel. And yet we still have you, and just as they did, and we thank you for that, Father. We ask you'll bless us. We ask you'll bless everybody here in this uh, church. Father, it's, a, it's such a privilege to be a part of this place. Lord, watch over us as we go, as I ask you to bless us. But, Father, more than that, I pray that we will be a blessing to you, that we will bless you this day. In the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, our most wonderful Lord and Savior. Amen. I love you all. See you in a little bit. God bless you. Have a great day.